I was adding up uh, years, uh, thinking back on different things, and uh, going back, I believe it was 2003, so 11 years ago, Joanne and I uh, used to live in Houston, Texas, and we were just about to move at that time, and so we were moving because she was finishing uh, medical school, and she's going to move on to residency. And if you know anything about that process, you end up moving, and, and this can be either be really terrifying or really freeing, depending on the way you look at it. But you rank the places where you want to do your residency, and then they rank you, and then they have a national match day, and they match you up based on your ranking. And so until that day, it's usually in March sometime, you don't know where you're moving. You don't have any idea until they tell you. And so we had uh, Joanna uh, interviewed at 10 different places, and so we had 10 options, and we had some ideas on ones that we liked more than the others. But the truth was we were going to come to that day, and what was going to happen is nine of those are going to be removed, and you're going to be left with one place. That's, that's where you're going. And so to me, in my thinking, was this is great. God is going to put us right where he wants us to be, and we don't have to worry about it until we are praying, but knowing that he's going to do that. But that can be a little nerve-wracking depending on your personality and different things. But what had to happen is God has to remove nine of them to show you the one that he's going to take you to, where he's going to place you. And so if you look at it that way, there's some things that have to be removed for it to be revealed where you're to go. Joanne and I were pretty much the same on that, so that wasn't too bad. It wasn't too much stress involved with that. We were okay with going some different places. We ended up getting our first choice, and so God gave us her first choice in that, which was great. But then there's other times in your life where different things get removed or maybe revealed in a different way to kind of reveal what God would do that aren't quite as easy, maybe harder sometimes uh, in, in other areas. Uh, for us, certainly not a hard thing at all. I don't want to equate it as we've been talking to suffering. This is not an issue of suffering in any way, but it was a little bit difficult for Joanna when our son, uh, our youngest son, Quinn, who turned four yesterday, I still can't figure that out, that's four years old already, but turned four yesterday when Quinn was uh, uh, just in, still in his mother's womb uh, for a season there, for a few weeks we thought Quinn was going to be a little girl. And so we went for an early ultrasound and they said, we're like 85%, 90% sure it's going to be a girl. They kind of guessed. And so we geared up, we were thinking that way, yes, it's going to be a girl, we're talking about girl names, Joanna's very excited, she was out, outnumbered three to one with two boys and myself, and so it's going to balance the house out a little more. And then we go back for the next ultrasound, and part of Quinn had been hiding before, and it was no longer hiding, and they went, no, that's not a girl. And uh, actually, Joanna, as they showed it up on the monitor, and you're watching, they're doing the ultrasound, she went, oh. <laughs> She thought, I was like, what? What are we, you know, what's the, I thought something was wrong. Well, no, it's a boy. And so uh, we love, love Quinn. He's been a wonderful blessing in our family. But the truth is God had to remove the possibility of a girl for us to get Quinn, for us to see that. And that was difficult for Joanna at first because she had gotten her hopes up and was excited about kind of balancing the house out and those things that go with it. And so sometimes God has to remove some things to reveal what he is doing. Now, those, neither one of those examples is difficult suffering or really hard times. But what we've been talking about is how we trust God in the midst of hard times. And what we're going to talk about this morning is sometimes God removes things. He reveals things through suffering. He ends up revealing things in our lives that we wouldn't have seen otherwise. And he uses those times. He uses hard times and suffering oftentimes to reveal idols in our hearts. You may say, well, wait a second, how did we get to idols? How did you go from uh, a little girl, it's not a little girl, it's a boy, to removing idols 
in our heart. And so we talk about this frequently. We've talked about this at different times if you've been here. But the idea of an idol in our hearts, scripturally, what the Bible tells us, what it shows us, is anything in our life that rises to a level of taking God's place. It's a good thing that becomes the ultimate thing in our life and it begins to cause us problems. For example, if you have two little boys and you're hoping for a girl and you think everything will be great and it will be wonderful if we just had a little girl. Everything will be perfect and now we'll have the, the house and the home that we thought we always wanted if we have that balance and then all of a sudden that's removed. It reveals your heart issue of what you were looking for, what you were hoping that child might bring into your life. Oh, it'll make everything perfect. Well, it wouldn't really. And so God sometimes uses difficult times to reveal areas of our heart that we're placing too much emphasis on. And so God uses our times of suffering in different ways. He uses difficult times to begin to reveal these idols, these things that we're maybe placing too much of a premium on in our life. And when that happens, and I say that, he shows us and he teaches us, it doesn't mean it's easy. In fact, it's very, very difficult most of the time when that happens, when God begins to show you those things. Because what is often the case with the idols of our heart, the things that are taking too big of a place in our life, they're very subtle. And it's often, oftentimes very subtle because they're good things. They're often very good things, but that we just start to put in a place that maybe it shouldn't take in our life. And so this morning what I want us to consider as we think about trusting God in the midst of suffering, we're in our seventh week of talking about this. We've laid a bunch of kind of theological foundations of that. And now we're kind of walking into some practical applications of that, of how God uses suffering in our life. That's what I want us to think about. How does God reveal the idols of our heart and begin to root them out when we walk through difficult times? And so we're going to look at Philippians chapter 3 that I read to you just a minute ago in order to do that. And the way I want to frame this as we look at it, I often point you to there's an there's a outline in your bulletin if that helps you and you want to follow along. You'll see those there, but kind of the way we're going to look at it is first, why do idols cause so many problems in our life? Why is this even something we should be concerned about? Secondly, how does suffering help to reveal them? And then lastly, as those God begins to strip those away, what are the results? What happens? Why is that a good thing? And so that's the way I want us to look at it. But before we do, let's pray, and then we're going to look at that together in Philippians chapter 3. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that it is living and active, that it is eternal, that it is life-giving. We thank you that we have your word. We thank you for the gift of it. We pray this morning that as we open it, that your spirit would come and lead and guide our time, that you would apply the truth of your word to our hearts, that you would show us maybe areas where we're not completely trusting you, that you would continue to do a work in us and through us by your spirit. As we often confess, Lord, we need you, as we just say, we need you to be here leading and guiding our time or we are hopelessly lost. And so we pray that you would teach us this morning through your spirit, through your word, We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we think about the idols, why do idols cause so many problems? Why is this something even to be concerned about, even to talk about as we begin to think about this? And we can go to big picture before we even look at what Paul says here and just kind of ground it scripturally in the way God has revealed himself. And you can go back to the Old Testament to when God gives the Ten Commandments, when he first gives the Ten Commandments. And if you know the Ten Commandments, the very first two go straight to the heart of what we're talking about. 
When God says you're to have no other gods, and then the second one, he says you're not supposed to make any graven images, not supposed to make idols, other things that you would worship. And you take those and you think about what God says right there from the beginning, and really all the other commandments and a lot of else of what God tells us all flows directly out of that. That God tells us that nothing should take his place of supremacy in our life. He should be the thing that we focus on. That's why Jesus would say, if you're going to come follow me and you're going to be my disciple, you should hate your mother and your brother and your father. And he goes through that whole list. He says that in Luke 14, and that's often very perplexing. We go, what in the world is he talking about? And what Jesus is saying is that the love of your family, the love of people in your life, should look like hate in comparison to how much you love God. It doesn't mean that you actually hate those people in your life. Just by comparison, you should love God that much more. It should be that clear in your life. And so God tells us that, and he says that, and he, he gives us this picture of that's the way we should function and move. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, used to say that all our problems, all our issues, flow out of misordered love. That when we take things in our life and we put them in places that they shouldn't go to, it causes all sorts of problems. For example, I was saying just a second ago, idols oftentimes in our heart are very subtle things. It's very good to love your family. It's very good to love your children or your spouse or those people that you're closest to. That is a good gift that God has given us and we should celebrate that. It's a wonderful gift. The love of your child or your spouse or whatever it may be. Problems come, though, when you start to elevate them to a place above God in your life. You've misordered your loves. And it causes all kinds of problems. And that's why God starts with the Ten Commandments and says, have no other gods before me and have no other graven images. You make me first in your life. That's why Jesus, when he's asked about the commandments to summarize them, he says it this way. Right? You love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then you love your neighbor as yourself. You love God and then you love people. And that really summarizes the Ten Commandments. And so big, big picture, God tells us that's the way his creation works. He was made to be the sinner. But there's a lot we could say on that, but I want to look at what Paul says here in Philippians 3. That's just kind of by way of introduction. But look at what Paul says here in Philippians 3, starting in verse 1. It says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the real circumcision who worship the Spirit of God in glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So I myself have every reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And so Paul starts to talk about this idea of uh, putting his confidence in his flesh and what's going on here. He starts this section, it's not hard for me to write these same things to you again. And then he starts to talk about watch out for dogs and mutilators of the flesh. And as we jump into Philippians, I realize we're stepping right into the middle of Paul's letter here. You could go, what in the world is he talking about? Why is he saying watch out for dogs and people who mutilate their flesh? And so just a little bit on the context of what Paul's writing to, there was a group known as Judaizers in his day that he dealt with a lot. You can go read the book of Galatians, the letter that Paul wrote there. He deals with that in great detail. But what they were saying is you had to put your faith in Jesus and you had to become Jewish. 
So those outside of the Jewish faith, those that were not part of Israel, needed to adopt all the holiness codes. They needed to adopt all these things that God had set out for Israel in the Old Testament to truly be a Christian. And so what it ended up being, what the picture ended up being, is you need to have faith in Jesus plus doing some other things. Right? And so Paul's warning against that. He's saying that's not the case. It's all Jesus. It's all Jesus' finished work. It's not what you do. It's what God has done. We say that all the time. As believers, our faith is centered on what God has done and us living in response to it, not the other way around. It's not we do some good things and then God looks at us and goes, okay, I'm going to accept you. You're accepted by what Jesus has done for you completely, totally. And then as your life changes by that truth, then you start to live out of it. And so Paul was constantly warning against this misplaced uh, faith in what you do. And so he says here, be careful, watch out for these guys. And he gives this, this very biting irony when he calls them dogs. They have to know the context a little bit to get what he's saying. But Jews in that time would call the Gentiles, who were outside of the holiness code, who weren't doing all these things, they would call them dogs because they were dirty. Ritually unclean. They didn't do all the stuff that the Jews did. And so Paul takes it and kind of flips it and he calls them dogs. He says, no, 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 they're the ones that are really missing it because they think they can be saved by their works and what they do. And so he calls them dogs and then he says they're mutilators of the flesh. Paul's alluding to circumcision there. They're thinking that if you're circumcised, that's part of making you a Christian. You have to do this to be saved. And he says, that's crazy. If you begin to add things to Jesus' finished work, you're diminishing what Christ has done and you're just mutilating your flesh. And so he says some pretty serious things there about what's going on. And so what he's calling out here and what he's saying is he's shining a light on what we do versus what God's done. Our outward show versus the heart issue of what God's done in our life and the problems that causes. And so really what he's pointing to is really idols that come up in our life, idols in our heart, things that we think, if I do this, I will be more accepted from God. And so instead of seeing Jesus as supreme and his finished work, we begin to make things that we do and equating them up there, putting them on the same level. Again, we're misordering our loves, if you follow that idea. And so you have this problem here, and then Paul goes on to tell you, look at what he says in verses 5 and 6. He's kind of showing us the way he thought before he became a Christian. He says, if we're going to boast in what we do, I have more reason than anybody else. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the people of Israel. I was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And so what Paul says is, I kept all those rules as well as anyone. If we're going to boast in what we do, I have more reason than anybody to boast, because I did all of it. Right? And it's kind of telling you what he, the way Paul operated before he became a Christian. The idols of his heart of, look at what I've done. Look at all these things. Paul was kind of like a, a superstar in his circles. People knew who he was, and, and he loved the scriptures, and he was so bent on it, and so particular, and he was going around doing all these things, and so he starts pointing to what he's done in his own performance. He says, if we're going to operate that way, I've got every reason to boast. And see, we see that all the time. We may listen, you may hear uh, Paul's list there, you may hear the things that he lists out, and that doesn't really speak to you at all, doesn't to me, you know, some of the things he says there. 
But we all have our own lists in different ways. We all have different things that we start to buy into and say, this is where I get my identity, this is where I get my self-worth because of these things in my life. And so we might not say, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, as Paul says, or a Pharisee or a righteous in zeal for under the law and all the things that he says there. But we may say things like, man, I'm really proud of the job I do, whatever your vocation is. Right? I have this great job and I'm a great businessman and I've made lots of money and I do that. And so you kind of stick your chest out as I've done this. And so we start to do the same things in different ways. Or maybe you say, uh, I'm, a, I'm a good husband and I've been married for 50 years and I've done that and that's what makes me who I am. And you start to grab your identity from different things in your life. We do the same thing that Paul does, but we do it in all different ways. Maybe it's I'm a mother uh, maybe it's I'm uh, a teacher or, or your vocation or whatever that might be. And we start to grasp onto those things. And we start to slip in to have our hope, our standing before God by the things we do versus what God's done. And we do this all the time. We all do this. We all slip into that. It's kind of the deceitfulness of our hearts. We start to think and act that way at different times. Even as a believing Christian, you'll start to slip into that idea of finding your identity in different things. And when we do that, we're really misordering our our standing before God, the things that we get our identity from. Scripture tells us over and over, it's what Christ has done for us. We are seated in the heavenlies because of what Jesus has done on our behalf, and it's all his doing. And when we start to say, no, no, I'm better off than someone else because I did whatever, fill in the blank, we're missing it. And we all start to slip into that, and it becomes very dangerous in our heart when we begin to put our, our, our assurance, our happiness, our joy, and things other than our relationship with God. Now, there's lots of things in our lives that bring us joy and bring us things, but not ultimate joy. And when we start to get our ultimate joy from them, we're misordering our loves. Right? So if we say, and you can, you can begin to diagnose this in your own heart when you say things like, I would be happy and complete and things would be good if. And you fill in the blank. Right? If I had the right job. Uh, if I find the right person to marry. If I, whatever it may be, you fill in the blank where it is for you. And what we're doing is we're, we're counting our ultimate joy, our ultimate happiness in something other than what God has done for us and what, who he is. And when we start to do that, it's very subtle and it starts to cause problems in our lives. And so when we think about this picture of why do idols cause so many problems, is that when we start to put other things that can't withstand the weight of holding under that, that aren't actually the center of the universe, and we try to make them the center of the universe, that's going to cause problems. It's going to break down and fall apart at some point. And so Paul's kind of pointing the people here of of not to do that, of not to start to put other things in Christ's place, not to add things onto it, He said, I've lived that way. I've done that. And so the first part I want you to see is just why idols are so dangerous because they cannot stand up to the weight of holding the center of your life. And they will disappoint you. And so that's the first part. But then the second part is how do we get to this idea of suffering and how they reveal the idols of our heart and how does that work? And so look at what happens here with Paul. Look at what he says right after he tells us, I have all these reasons to be... uh, boasting in what I've done, but then look at what he says in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
Indeed, I counted everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in an order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And so Paul says, I had all this stuff, and in my life I've lost every bit of it, but now I can look back on my life and I can look at all these things and say, all of that is rubbish compared to knowing Christ. All the things that I found my identity and my worth in have been ripped away from me, and I don't care. Because I have Jesus. He actually says, uh, I can look at them all now in the surpassing words. He says there that uh, I count them all as rubbish in order that I may have gained Christ. That actually literally is dung. So he says, and that's, that's what it says. Everything is a giant pile of poop compared to Jesus. That's the living Bible. I'm sorry, but that, that's it's what it says. The word study, that's what he come up with. It's dung. And that's what he says. All these things in my life that I used to get my identity from, as they have been pulled away throughout my life, I don't count them as anything now. And so you look at that picture, and so you go, how does Paul get from where he is in verse 5 and verse 6, listing off all his accomplishments, to the point of saying, I've lost all of that, and it doesn't count for anything. How did he get there? That's what I want us to think about as we've been talking in this series about suffering and how God reveals idols of our heart through those things. How did Paul go from verses 5 and 6 to verse 8? So, well, Did he walk into a gathering and he heard somebody say, you've got idols in your heart and Jesus is supposed to be the center and not these other things? And he went, oh, okay, it's all rubbish and now I'm good. No. If you know anything about Paul's life, we talked about it briefly last week, but if you know Paul's story at all, his conversion, what happened in his life, he had all these things that he described there in verse 5 and 6. He was that guy. He had this zeal. He's persecuting the church. He's doing all these things. If you get to Acts chapter 9, it actually says he was breathing murderous threats against the church. That's the way the chapter starts. And he's walking down the road on the road to Damascus, and God literally knocks him off his horse and blinds him. Right? And he says, uh, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you? God says, it's Jesus that you're persecuting. And he blinds him. Right? He's blind for three days. So he goes into the town. He doesn't eat for three days, and he's blind. And that's kind of the beginning of Paul's journey. God had to shake him pretty hard to get his attention from all these idols that he has in his life. But that's just the beginning of Paul's life. I don't know if you know this or you've thought through the chronology of Paul's life and how God uses them and how that works and what that looks like, but he didn't get knocked off the horse and then the next day, three days later, get up and go and proclaim the gospel and do all the things that Paul did, that God did through Paul, I should say. It actually took a while. And if you go and you look at Paul's life and what happened on how he got from verse 5 and 6 to verse 8 of saying it's all worthless, it's nothing compared to knowing Jesus, what you get is a long process. In Galatians 1, Paul tells us that he went off into Arabia and he spent time alone and it says that he was taught by a revelation of Jesus Christ. That's all he says. I don't know exactly what that means other than that Paul went off by himself and God taught him there for three years. He went for three years. 
And then he shows back up and he begins to preach and teach and he begins to tell people what God's done and all the Christians are afraid of him. They go, oh, wait a second. This is the guy that was killing people. Right? They're worried about him. He's kind of outcast from them. And so at first it takes a little while for them to accept Paul in as they begin to see what he's doing. And then they accept him in. And then all the people that he used to enjoy all the things he's talking about, where he was a superstar in his circle with the Jewish leaders, they now hate him. Because they actually wanted to kill him. Right? They're out to get rid of him because of what he's now saying. And so some of the believers gather together and they say, Paul, you need to lay low for a while. And he actually says he goes to Tarsus for four years. Four years. Four years where everybody that he used to travel, all these things that he was so proud of, they now hate him and want him dead. Can you imagine what that's like? All the friends you have, all the people that maybe think highly of you, suddenly they all want to kill you. And so you have to kind of retreat for four years. What would that be like? What would begin to happen of these idols that you're holding, of, of look at who I am and what I do and all these things, when all of a sudden all these people want to kill you? And so it takes a while from Paul's conversion. Uh, we find uh, when we read through and you kind of put the dates together, Paul's first missionary journey doesn't start until 12 years after his uh, coming to faith, after that moment on road to Damascus there. The second one doesn't start until 14 years later, and the third one doesn't start until 17 years later. And then you read what happens in those journeys as he goes. He goes into places and he proclaims the gospel and people beat him. Or he goes into other places and he proclaims the gospel and they stone him. Or he goes into some places and he gets thrown in jail. And you see this over and over and over. And you think of all that time and how God is working in that. And then you get to him writing this in Philippians. He wrote this letter from our best guest 27 years after he got saved. And so when you go, well, how did Paul go from what he says in verses 5 and 6 to verse 8? Through a whole lot of suffering in his life. A whole lot of things being brought to light and kind of rooted out by God in all different ways throughout his life. It took a long time for Paul to get from what he says there to what he says in verse 8. As those things begin to get stripped away and shown it's only later in seeing all this that you see how Paul was working, how God was working in his life to show him these things. And so what often happens in our life is we hold idols very closely, they're very subtle, there's things in our lives, and we get maybe our meaning and our, our uh, pride of who we are and what we do maybe in our job. And you do a job and then all of a sudden things get downsized and you lose your job. And you go, oh. Right? What, what made you who you were or your number one thing as you go in and talk to people is now taken away. Or, or maybe you work in the same job for 50 years and you do it really well and you make lots of money and you're really successful and then the time comes and you retire. And suddenly all the people that wanted your opinion and came to you aren't around anymore because you don't work there anymore. And suddenly God begins to show you this idol that you had in your life. These different things. Or maybe it's in all different ways. Right? If I just have this house, or I just have this car, or if we just have a daughter, or we just have this, and then those things are removed. And then suddenly God begins to reveal the place those had in your life that they were never supposed to have. Good gifts that you are making ultimate in your life in the way that that works. I'll be honest, for me, 
but maybe if I just have a job in full-time ministry, everything will be great. And then all of a sudden you go, wait a second. That doesn't make everything great and perfect. I still have all the same things going on. And so God begins to tear out those idols, and it can be very difficult when it happens. It can be very painful when he shows you where you're putting your faith in as those things are removed. But in doing so, it begins to soften your heart for him to speak the truth of who he is and what he's done and how only he can step in and meet your needs. And so for years and years and years, Paul had to come to grips with all these things before he could get to what he says in verse 8. I kind of wonder, as Paul writes this, and you say, man, how did you, you know, you could be sitting in prison with him where he's writing this. Right? He's living what he's saying as he says this in prison, proclaiming the gospel, and you could be sitting there with him and go, man, how long did it take for you to get from this to be able to say this? My guess is he'd probably say, I'm still working on it. God's still showing me. God's still pulling those idols out of my heart to show me that he is the only one that can satisfy and meet my needs. It's a lifelong process. But when we start to see how God can do that, even in difficult times, even pulling those things out, even showing what we're resting in, we can begin to see the things we go through in a little bit different light. How's God going to use what I'm going through right now? Where am I not trusting Him completely and fully? And so when that starts to happen, that leads you to the last part of of what are the results. Well, it brings up the deepest desires of your heart and it puts them right in front of your face. But now it's softened your heart to where God can show you that He is the only thing that can meet those needs. He is the only one that can fully fulfill you in every way. He is the only one that you can't retire and lose your position. It's all Christ and what he's done. And so he begins to work in and through that. And you get to where you can say what Paul says in verse 8. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. He says, I begin to see how Jesus meets all my needs. All my deepest needs. And there's an incredible thing that happens when that starts to take place. And we'll end with this this morning. Just a very, very practical application when this happens. If you're using things in your life, people, position, children, whatever it is, to find your deepest meaning, you're going to crush them under the weight of that because they can't stand under that. And not only that, you're not really loving them, they're using them to complete yourself. So if your spouse is going to complete you, we like to say that. There's a movie once that said that. You complete me. Right? No, you don't. That's so unromantic, but it's true. Only God can complete you. Only your relationship with God through Jesus. And if you put someone else in that place, they won't be able to stand up and it's going to cause all kinds of problems. But when you make Jesus the center, and he can complete you, he can give you all those desires of your heart, because he's the one that put them there. He's the only one that can fill it. Then you are free to love people as they are. They're not the thing that's going to complete you, but now you don't use them to try to complete you, you just get to love them. That's why God says, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. 
When you're completed in Him, then you're free to actually love people and not use them. It's a wonderful freeing thing. You're, you're now free to really enjoy your job, but know that if your job is taken away tomorrow, that's okay. I've still got the thing that completes me in my relationship with God through Jesus. And so now I don't have to hold on to those things so tightly. I can love them for who they are and what the good gifts that God's given because I'm completed in Christ alone and what he's done. And so God uses difficult times to bring those things to light and show us those things, to point us more fully to him. And so we can look at difficult times in our life and go, man, look at how God is going to use this and how he's going to teach me and how he's going to show me and how he's going to point me more fully to how he completes me and nothing else does. And so even in the hardest times, we can be looking for his grace and what he's going to do. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for the witness of the Apostle Paul and just the way that you used his life, the way that you inspired him to write these words that could teach us and guide us and point us more fully to the ways that you complete us. And for that, we thank you. I pray that right now, those who sit here today who are struggling with very difficult things in their lives, I pray that your spirit would comfort them in their time of need, that you would point them to the areas that were not uh, trusting you completely, and that you would just speak truth of how you are the ones that completes us in all those areas. And through these times, you would just draw us closer to you, that we'd be able to make much of you in everything we say and do. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.